Please be seated, taking your Bibles. Turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Our reading this morning comes from the Acts of the Apostles, written by Luke, chapter 18, verses 18 through 28. Let us pray and then hear the word of God. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you and we praise you for your faithfulness to your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your zeal toward your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the word. Grant, O God, that we would receive a measure of your own zeal for your word. Grant that we would be helped in our understanding of it. Come and visit us right now, we pray, O God, by the merits of Jesus Christ, and give us, Lord, even more than we have prepared to receive. We pray that you would grant us that joy and attention that we see in Mary when she sat at the feet of the Savior. O Lord, we pray for more than morsels even. Grant us to be strengthened by it, to be reformed by it, to be comforted by it, if need be, to be afflicted by it, to be straightened by it, to be saved by it. O Lord, do wonderful things among us, we pray, for the sake of your dear Son, who has purchased all these things for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew, or Acts, Acts 18, verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he, let them, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is God's word. <clears throat> In the year 2016, the Oxford Dictionaries announced that their word of the year was the word post-truth, post-hyphen 
truth. They offered this definition. Post-truth is an adjective defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than our appeals to emotion and personal belief. To put it another way, a post-truth society is a society where if you feel something to be true, no one should use facts to tell you it is not. Here is a common statement from a post-truth world. I feel that two men should be able to get married and no one can convince me that's wrong. That's post-truth. For millions of people, there is no authority out there that can invalidate any action they take or any belief they hold. There is no umpire telling us what is good and what is evil. As 84-year-old Christian thinker David Wells recently said, we now live in a psychological world, not a moral world. There are no ultimate rights and wrongs. There are just things with which we are comfortable or uncomfortable. Close quote. Many people want to live in a post-truth society. They believe it gives them freedom from all the old authorities that exist to limit their personal options. But what they cannot see is how this freedom is creating an inner captivity. When we are our own authority, we become captive, captive to self-interest. And self-interest is a very cruel master. It demands you become more cynical of everything good, even goodness itself. And it demands you become so selfish, you end up destroying yourself under the weight of a thousand lusts, which in a post-truth world you can no longer call lusts. But there is good news. There is such good news because God is a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ does not leave the people he has come to redeem inside the labyrinth of self-interest. Jesus does not leave his people fearful of and opposed to authority. He does not leave us groping in the dark without truth. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. You will. And the truth will set you free. That's John 8, 31. So one of the first things Jesus does for you when he comes to apply to you the redemption he has accomplished for you, one of the first things he does for you is he opens your heart and draws you and binds you to the authority of his word, the word of God, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. And this is what we see right in front of us in the life of Apollos of Alexandria. Apollos is not a natural. He is not a natural. No one is naturally bound to the authority of Scripture the way Apollos is. He is a supernatural child of God, as are you believers. 
Our text says, Apollos was competent in the scriptures. That's verse 24. Another translation says, he was mighty in the scriptures. That's the King James. It's more literal in this case. Because the word mighty or competent is dunatos. You hear the English derivative there, right? Dynamite. Well, don't think explosions. Think power, ability. Another translation says he was well-versed in the scriptures. And another says he was proficient in the scriptures. Here's the point. The risen Christ had liberated Apollos from an aimless life of uncertainty and had bound his soul to the authority of scripture. The scriptures became a dominant force that now shaped the pattern and practice of this man's life. But his competence with scripture, understand, was not like Google search, where he could quickly pull facts and information from its various locations in the Bible. He probably could. But his competence was far more substantial. Apollos could show from many Old Testament scriptures that Jesus Christ, who had been crucified, is also the Messiah. The crucified Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. Apollos could show from the law of Moses and from the prophets and from the Psalms and from all the other books that Jesus is the long-promised king and savior of the world. This made Apollos like a living sword. He could slay lies that bound men in darkness. And he did it with the scriptures. Verse 28 says, He used scripture to do for others what scripture had done for him. Show Jesus was the Christ. Now, we will get back to Apollos in a minute. But let us understand something. What we see in Apollos is the workmanship of the risen Christ. These men don't just come out of nature. They come from heaven. What you see in Apollos is what our risen Lord does with his ministers for his churches. When Jesus appeared to his disciples on that first Sunday night after his resurrection, behind locked doors, Luke tells us, quote, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Luke 24, 45. Beloved, let me challenge you. If you do not want to come to worship to have your mind open to understand the scriptures, you do not understand what Christian worship is about and what meeting with Jesus Christ is about. He has not called you here to enjoy my ties. They're not that enjoyable. He has not called you here to enjoy the music. He has not called you here to check a box so you can say, well, the pastor won't be harassing us this month. We touched in. Jesus met with his disciples, his little church, after his resurrection, and what did he do? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures, to be called and commanded and bound and built up by the authority of the word of God. 
It was at that very same moment Jesus said to them, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Not only does our risen Lord heal our minds so we can rest in the authority of Scripture, he also shows us he is the one to whom Scripture has been testifying about all along. In this, he fulfills Isaiah 29, verse 18. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Psalm 29, 18. The supernatural healing that sinners need is about a book, but not just a book. They need to hear and see the book is bringing health to their sight and joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel. So this is what, we, what we've heard so far is the background for how a man like Apollos can exist He is a work of the risen Christ. The Lord Jesus has done for Apollos what he did for those disciples behind a locked door. The Lord did for them what he does for us when we come to him humbly in the worship of God, especially in the Lord's Day Assembly. Lord, open my mind to understand the scriptures, to recognize the voice of the master speaking to me, to indeed be sealed by your word. And all of this is actually a great diagnostic for us. Am I with Jesus or against him as it concerns the book, the scriptures? He declared the scriptures are the sufficient and final authority in the church. Am I with him or against him? Then there is this diagnostic. Jesus heals the mind of sinners to understand the scriptures. But do I desire to understand the traditions of men, the writings of antiquity, more than I desire to understand the scriptures? Do I set the scriptures apart and above all else, like Jesus does? Above Augustine? Above Luther? Above Calvin? Yes, the Protestant popes. Above Voss? Above all men? Do I set the scriptures apart and above all the luminaries of church history. Am I with Jesus on this, or am I against him? Then there's this diagnostic. If reading anywhere in the Bible does not make me think about Jesus, cause me to to desire Jesus, cause me to rest in Jesus, cause me to adore Jesus, then I am reading the Bible wrong, and I desperately need to pray, because Jesus says it is all about me. It's all been written about me. It's all been pointing to me, and I cannot be so hasty that I go away from the scriptures and miss Jesus. These are helpful diagnostics. Now, let's look again to Apollos and see how his life is, in fact, being used by Christ to help the church 
see even more clearly the authority of Scripture. Apollos was a Jew. He was born in Egypt, a native of Alexandria. Alexandria, you may know, is a city founded by Alexander the Great himself, 323 BC. And in the ancient world, Alexandria was famous for its museum and famous for its library and famous for its very, very, very large population of Jews. At one point, Jews made up 35% of the city of ancient Alexandria. They had arrived there through various diasporas and various wars, beginning with the Babylonian exile and Nebuchadnezzar. One of the significant cultural products of Alexandria was a book. That's called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a full Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures from the original Hebrew. And this work was commissioned by the Egyptian Greek king, Ptolemy II. He recruited 72 Jewish scholars to translate the Old Testament Hebrew into the Greek Bible, known as the Septuagint, also known as the LXX, which is Roman numerals for 70. The Septuagint is commonly the Bible of the Old Testament that is quoted by your apostles in the New Testament. They are often quoting a translation of the Hebrew scriptures because it's a good translation and it serves the purposes that they have in writing to the church. They don't always quote the LXX or the Septuagint. Sometimes they quote right from the Hebrew. And the variance is not great, but it is noticeable at times. This all came out of Alexandria, where Apollos grew up. He grows up a Jewish boy, learning a lot of Old Testament scripture, just like Timothy did. But somewhere along the way, Apollos hears the preaching or about the preaching of John the baptizer. And maybe he even travels up to Judea to be baptized himself by John in the Jordan River. We don't know for sure. Either way, God grants Apollos faith in Christ and repentance unto life. And the Holy Scriptures, where Christ is infallibly revealed, in this case, we are referring to the Old Testament Scriptures, those Scriptures begin to consume the life of Apollos. It is the very best thing, by the way, to have your life consumed by the Scriptures. Young people, please heed and hear. If you're under the age of 18... It is not too late. You have not calcified like some of us older folks. It is not too late to let the scriptures become that which consumes your life more than anything else. It does not mean you will have to be a pastor. But hear me now. There is nothing more useful to your life wherever you are, whether you are in a hospital, in a bank, on a, under a kitchen sink, on a field, there's nothing more useful to serve the kingdom of Jesus Christ than to be consumed with the scriptures, to become mighty in them. 
This is what a life is for. This is a good life. Now is the time to begin. And by the very fact that you're here, you're making a good investment in it. Now, Apollos, our text tells us, has been accurately taught the things concerning Jesus. See that in verse 25? That language taught accurately and instructed himself in verse 25, that language is the same Greek word that we get the word catechize. That means he didn't just read. Luke is letting us know that there was a teacher in his life. Somebody spent time with Apollos. Apollos spent time with somebody. To catechize is a method of, literally means to plumb down into, where you search after what has been taught to, to, to have the student repeat it back to see if they've learned it. It's a peculiar method that the Greeks knew well, well, and some of you do. Apollos has been instructed in the things of Jesus Christ. And what does he do with it? What all who have been given to do is give. He instructs with that which he has been instructed. He speaks accurately of Jesus Christ. Now, our text says several specific things about Apollos, which I'm going to get to again in a moment. But I don't want you to lose the big picture. Here's the big picture. By the time we meet Apollos in verse 24, the Apostle Paul has left Ephesus. Apollos arrives, and Paul isn't there. Paul's gone. In fact, by the time we get to verse 24, if we follow the places Paul has gone, verses 18 to 23, by the time you get to verse 24, Paul has traveled 1,500 miles to the east. He has gotten off a boat in Caesarea on the shore. He's then gone up elevation to the church in Jerusalem. He's then gone down in elevation to the church in Antioch. And now he's moving back west through Galatia, which is a region. So just when it looks like the people of Ephesus will be lacking a strong, competent witness to Jesus Christ in walks, not another apostle, but Apollos, a man mighty in the scriptures. And look at verse 20. Boy, these Jews in the synagogue at Ephesus, they are hungry to hear more. They want Paul to stay. Paul says, I got to go. And it may have something to do with his vow, which we will pass over today because a more fulsome issue about the vow comes up in the next couple chapters. But here's the point. The Lord puts Apollos there when the apostle is gone. With the absence of Paul and then the arrival of Apollos, Luke wants us to see what it is that is going to build and hold together the Christian churches. It is going to be God's word, not perpetual apostles. It is going to be the scriptures, not perpetual apostles. The scriptures will do it. Yes, men who are gifted and sent by Christ will be part of the doing, but they will not do it without the scriptures. Apollos would be no use if he were not mighty in the scriptures. It is God's word, not his servants, 
that he is quick to honor. So this passage right before you is more about the praise of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the abilities of Scripture, than it is about the praise of men. Scripture is the true force of refutation in the hands of a man. And you see what Luke is doing? He's shifting now as he gets into the backside of his Acts of the Apostles, and he's making sure he does not leave out this peculiar narrative scene of the absence of an apostle, but the presence of a mighty scripture speaker. And this is the Lord Jesus already encouraging the church that after the apostles die and are buried and are pushing up daisies, the scriptures will be sufficient to build the church, to guard the church, to defend the church, to advance the church. Now, there is no doubt Apollos was a significant church father to the early church. When he wrote later to the Corinthians, Paul put Apollos right next to him. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 1 Corinthians 3.6. Now, why does Paul say this to the Corinthians? Well, you see at the end of our reading that Apollos wants to go to Achaia. What is the capital city of the province Achaia? It's Corinth, where Priscilla and Aquila have just come from. They write a letter for Apollos to go there. And Apollos indeed goes there because look at verse 19.1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth. So Apollos ends up having a very significant ministry among the Corinthians. So he is indeed a significant church father to the early church. But let us understand, it is God's word that was planted. It is God's word that was watered. It is God's word that he caused to grow. It's almost easy to miss that when you hear that verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. There's an unnamed seed that looms in that verse. What is the seed? It is the authority of God's word, the authority of the word preached, taught, defended, refuted. God's word is the mighty seed that grows, and God's grace is the hidden power of the growth. Men's talents are not the mighty seed. Men's machines are not the mighty seed. We could actually see the kingdom of Jesus Christ advance without electricity, without a building, and certainly without screens. Whoops, I was just thinking that. I didn't mean to say it. Your pastor has a couple of pet peeves. I, I know. Pray for me. <clears throat> Men's talents are not the seed. Machines are not the seed. The word of God is the seed. So this little passage, 24 through 28, shows us what Christ does when his apostles are gone. From heaven, Christ sends his word. From heaven, Christ sows his word. From heaven, Christ nurtures his word. From heaven, Christ harvests his word. The word, the scriptures, will do all that needs to be done. Do you know how Martin Luther, later in his life, explained the Protestant Reformation of the church. 
Luther said, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. Let me challenge you young people. Half of you or more won't be here in 20 years in this church. You'll be serving the Lord somewhere else in this country or in another country. Do not stay away from the word of God. Do not be content with a congregation that calls themselves Christian but does not teach, preach, and publicly read a lot of the word of God. It is not, if you are in that kind of place 20 years from now, pinch yourself, wake up, and say, this is not the power of God. There may be a lot of lights. There may be a lot of people. But the power of God is in the mighty scriptures that makes men mighty in the scriptures. Now let me say just a few things about Apollos based on the little biography before us. Our text says, verse 24, he was an eloquent man. Now it is difficult to know if eloquent is the correct translation here. This word is used only once in the entire New Testament, and it's right there in front of you, that one use. It is, of course, used in other Greek writings of the same time period, but in those other Greek writings, this word means learned. It means someone who is well-studied and fluent in the subject matter. But if eloquent is the correct translation, then Luke is informing us that Apollos had a style of speaking that was easy and pleasant to listen to. We don't need to regret that. Because that may indeed be God's gift and blessing to the church. We shouldn't become so unbiblical in our thinking that we think polished speakers are dangerous to us. The problem isn't that they are polished. The test is, do they bring the scriptures to us? But we should not think too much of this eloquence, if it is indeed eloquent. We should not think too much or too little of it, because Paul goes out of his way to tell us how poor of a speaker he was himself. Paul says to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, my speech is of no account. In fact, he tells us that that's what people are saying about him. And then Paul says about himself <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians 11.6 that I am unskilled in speaking. But Apollos was eloquent or learned. This is what the Lord wants for his church, not for the fame of Apollos. The next thing in our text about Apollos, it says that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he taught and spoke. Being fervent in spirit is not simply that he was enthusiastic. It is more proper to recognize what is being said here by Luke is that 
Apollos was a man filled with the Spirit. In the same kind of language that the deacons in Acts 6 were required to be, men who were filled by the Spirit. And one of the great evidences that Apollos was filled by the Spirit is right before our eyes in the text. He always wanted to talk about the Scriptures and not about his eloquence. That is the key mark of a man who's filled with the Spirit. Not that he can yell and preach for two hours and run around a congregation and hop up and down like a bunny and laugh, but that he can bring the scriptures to the people of God. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, we don't know everything that that phrase means about this ignorance in Apollos, but we know that the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance in preparation for the work of the Messiah, his presence, his death, and resurrection. So it appears that Apollos had not heard about Pentecost, that there was a Christian baptism, that the Spirit had been poured out. But it also appears that he has the Spirit. He has a deficiency. How is this deficiency going to be repaired? Well, the Lord from heaven in his kindness has moved a couple who are also mighty in the scriptures. He has moved this couple, a man and a woman, out of Corinth, down to Ephesus, and they are there to aid Apollos in his deficiency. And how do they do it? Verse 26, Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, the text has already told us that Apollos taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. But he needs to be taught himself more accurately. It's the identical Greek verb used twice. Adverb, actually. Beloved, this is a beautiful thing. A man mighty in the scriptures is not so high-minded about his eloquence or, or usefulness that he cannot learn from a woman and her husband in the privacy of their home. And them, they, Aquila and Priscilla, for their graces that they don't call him out publicly, but privately draw him into their house and set him straight. And how are they able to set him straight? because Paul has set them straight back in Corinth. Listen, Reformed Christians get a lot of heat because we like to be precise about our doctrine. We have a maximalist confession of faith called the Westminster Confession, Larger and Shorter Catechism. We do not have a minimalist confession four, five, seven sentences. And we get kind of teased for being so precise. I like to pick on the Reformed faith when I can because it's my tradition. And I don't want to get snobby and proud. I want us to be the most self-critical Christian tradition in the world. But brothers and sisters, here is something we should not overlook and not regret. It is the ministry of Jesus Christ to teach the word of God more accurately. 
and to learn ourselves the word of God more accurately. This is the work Christ wants done in his church. We need not think that this means somebody should be proud or arrogant or argumentative or heated. That's sin and that's from somewhere else, not from the Lord. But this is from the Lord to teach more accurately. This is what the church of Jesus Christ needs. This is what the gifted men of the church need. This is what we all need to receive and where possible to give to others. John Calvin has an excellent comment about Apollos' humility, that he would allow himself to be taught by a woman. Calvin makes the point that you can tell that this is the kingdom of Jesus Christ and not the world. <clears throat> and then our text goes on. Oops, I turned the page. After explaining the way more accurately to them, verse 27, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And then he leaves. And when he arrives in Achaia, Corinth, according to verse 19:1, Apollos greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let me ask you this question, and it's right there in front of your eyes in verse 27. How are you most greatly helped by the church of Jesus Christ? This is a catechism question. Answer, I am most greatly helped as a member of the church of Jesus Christ when the ministers and elders of the church of Jesus Christ, when the evangelists and the teachers of the church of Jesus Christ Come and use the scriptures to refute error in me or around me. Then I am most greatly helped. Let me challenge you right now. Will you let the word of God that is in front of you, authored by the spirit of God and the apostles of God, right there in verse 27, will you let the word of God determine for you what is the most highest help you can get in the church of Jesus Christ. Is it not somebody opening the scriptures to you, making the way more accurate for you? Is that not it? Beloved, that has to be it. You have to rank your needs by what the word of God says, not merely by what you feel. This doesn't mean you don't have other needs. Your other needs may feel much more weighty but even those you will discover receive such a balm and medicine when the Spirit comes with the Word of God to you. Verse 28, and we're almost done. Apollos in Corinth powerfully refuted the Jews in public for the good of the Christians, right? All who were witnesses. This is such a blessing to the believers in Corinth, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. The New Testament scriptures had not all been written yet, or those that had been written had not all been circulated yet. They were called scriptures later by Peter and Luke, but the scriptures that Apollos used in Corinth at first 
were the Old Testament scriptures. He took the sword out of its sheath and he slayed the demons who would blind and bind the elect and liberated them to see the glory of Jesus Christ. And what might that have sounded like? Well, if you want one answer, you can consider Martin Luther's answer. Luther is fairly confident that Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. There are a few others who agree with him, but it's certainly not a majority opinion. But it's an interesting prospect in light of what Apollos was so skilled in doing, using Old Testament scripture to show that Jesus was the Christ. Because Hebrews is so much of that. But let me give you a couple other samples. Apollos, I would argue, simply sounded a lot like Paul. Here's Paul in Galatians 3.8. And the scripture, Old Testament scripture, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Paul says the scripture preached, that the Old Testament preached. Preached what? The gospel that all the nations would be blessed. The very rudimentary, rudimentary elementary gospel that God would show goodness and kindness to those rebel nations darkened by sin without the law. He's quoting there from Genesis 12. Here's what Apollos might have sounded like also. 1 Corinthians 15.3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Do you see how Paul is thinking? I'm sure it is how Apollos was thinking and teaching, that the scriptures, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures foretold the death of Messiah and foretold the third day resurrection of the Messiah, that this was all throughout the Jewish scriptures. Isaiah 53, Zechariah 12, so many more. Now the Jews, they of course found all of this a great scandal. They saw Jesus rejected by the authorities of Jerusalem. The top men of the Jewish nation turned him over to Pilate and said, get this man out of here. Crucify him for us. We can't bring about a death penalty. You do it for us. For the Jews all over Asia and Asia Minor to go against the authorities in Israel, in Jerusalem, the chief priests and scribes, what must happen? Well, the same thing that happened to Apollos. There must be a supernatural work from the throne of Christ to open their minds to understand the scriptures. You see, they, the Jews had the scriptures. They knew their scriptures way better than we do in 2023. They looked in the scriptures all the time, but they were blind 
to the promised Messiah who would be crucified and who would rise from the dead. You see, the natural mind, even lying down and sleeping in the scriptures as a mattress and pulling them up like a blanket, the natural mind cannot see what had been revealed through the teaching and preaching of Apollos, what had been revealed to Apollos. See, we don't just need the scriptures. Listen now. We need the Christ of the scriptures. What did he do when he came behind that locked door that Sunday night of his resurrection? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said, the, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms have all been speaking of me. We don't just need the scriptures brought to us. We need Jesus Christ brought to us. And beloved, this is what he does, not away from the scriptures, but with the scriptures. Let us pray. Our gracious King, High King of Heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you and we praise you for your wisdom and way in binding your church to the sufficiency and authority of the scriptures as a light and revelation of the Savior, of the crucified one, of the risen one, we thank you for all whom you have shown these things to down through the ages. The believing man, Abraham, our covenant father. The believing woman, Rahab, prostitute of Jericho. Simeon, the widow Anna, Nicodemus, the apostles and the prophets, and even us far out here in the West. We thank you, O Lord, that you have made us understand that the scriptures have been speaking of the Savior and that it is his will to save. O gracious God, we pray that we would not fall ourselves under the darkness of this post-truth age. Nothing new under the sun, just new ways to describe an age that is passing away. Post-human, post-truth, post-modern, the inconstancy of this fallen world is testified in its dictionaries and speech. And we thank you and we praise you, Lord, that you will lift us up that you will bring us into an age that has never changed. You will bring us above the known world into the unseen realm of majesty where there's always been truth, where there is no shadow or turning of change. And the king himself presides over the unshakable kingdom. Oh, gracious Lord, we pray that you would hold us fast in the truth of Scripture by your Holy Spirit to the praise, honor, and glory of your Son, we thank you for coming and fetching us out of the captivity to self-interest and the death that it leads to. 
We thank you for delivering us and opening our minds by this mighty grace that is at work in all who believe. In Jesus' name, amen.